0: You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future. But until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The scripture reading is from Matthew 5, 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it's given for our good. Thanks, Thanks, Manuela. Let's pray, and uh, I'm going to move somewhat quickly, but let's reflect on this passage, an important passage in God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask now, as we, your church, assemble together, That you would send your spirit to bless this reading and now the preaching of your word. That in hearing your word preached, you would see our Lord Jesus Christ. Be reminded of his great love for us. And be given courage to follow him wherever he might call us. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. I don't know if anyone else has watched uh, this documentary. I think it's on Amazon Prime uh, about Queen Elizabeth II. It's called Elizabeth, a Portrait in Parts. I don't know if anyone else has seen it. It's directed, uh, directed by Roger Michel, if that means anything to you. I think it's on Prime. Um, I watched it the other day, and it, it's looking back on the life of Queen Elizabeth II. And if there's anything that you could kind of boil down the documentary, any sort of thesis that uh, Roger Michel believes about uh, Queen Elizabeth's life, is that uh, she understood herself as a servant from a very young age that this was her identity, is how she understood her, her calling and her role in the world, that she was indeed a servant, and she faultlessly lived out of that identity all the days of her life. Key to understanding uh, Queen Elizabeth II's life, according at least to this Roger Michel documentary, the way he has put it together, was a speech that she gave on her 21st birthday, and she actually reaffirmed it a couple of times throughout her life. But in her 21st birthday... She read this speech out. I believe she was in South Africa when she read it, but it went uh, to the whole Commonwealth. And here's what she said She said, I declare before you that all of my whole life, whether it is long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. The documentary from the speech then proceeds to show that this was indeed how Elizabeth II lived her entire life all the way to the end. She was a loyal servant of her people. That's how she understood herself, and that's how she acted. We're walking very slowly through the Gospel of Matthew, and we've entered into the most famous sermon Jesus offers, the Sermon on the Mount, which starts at chapter 5. You remember last week, we talked a bit about those who have privileged status in uh, the kingdom? Who, who are the most blessed in the kingdom? The Beatitudes, as they are often called. And we spend some time reflecting on who have this privileged status in the kingdom. If you want to reflect on that again, there's three sermons on it. You can find them online. Lyndon and I preached uh, through these things. Now we're coming out of this, those who are blessed, out of these Beatitudes, and Jesus offers us two metaphors, two pictures, and they are to become to us our, our primary self-understanding. Like Queen Elizabeth II, understanding herself as a servant. These two pictures are to guide the church into all that lies ahead. Here's how we are to, be, to self-conceive. Here's how we are to understand ourselves. We are salt. We are light. Now, the danger in a passage like this is, I'm, I'm assuming, if you've spent any time in a church, you've heard salt and light. You've heard this before. And if you've spent any time in a church, you know... Now, these metaphors get dangerous because it's very, very easy to say more than the original authors intended. And it's also very easy to say less than or something different than the original authors intended. I think it's no surprise that Jesus gives us not just one metaphor, you are salt, though that would be sufficient. But he balances it out by also saying we are light so we can understand these metaphors in relation to one another. You are salt, you are light, but what does this mean? This is what I want to reflect on this morning. What does this mean? I want to first ask, what is this metaphor calling us to do? How is it calling us to do it? And then thirdly, I want to ask, why are we to do it? So what is this metaphor calling us to do? How are we to do it? And why are we to do it? You are salt. You are light. But what is this metaphor calling us to do? Well, I want to argue first that it's calling us to be people, to be an institution as the church that is always moving towards something but what? Let me ask this question. We're going to ask it the whole time. How does salt and light work? Okay? How do they work? Well, salt has a variety of purposes. We know quite a bit about it, and we know a variety of things that it's capable of doing. But its primary purpose, at least at the time that Jesus is, is uh, giving this sermon, and at the time Matthew is writing and recording and reflecting on the sermon Jesus gave, the primary purpose of salt at this time is to act as a preservative. This is a time before modern refrigeration and before also the ability to can things as we are able to do uh, for the past hundreds of years. Salt's primary purpose at this time was to preserve dead and dying things from decaying, to preserve your meats, to make sure they last longer than just a couple of weeks. There's actually a long book, and I have some some interesting quotes in it, uh, a book called Salt, A World History by a historian. It's a 500-page book. I assure you I didn't read the whole thing. I went on Goodreads and found the best quotes, but I had some good ones. Um, But salt played a critical, critical role in human history. It was the commodity. Soldiers were paid in salt at one point. This was the commodity to hold on to. Without salt, you can't survive. Your meat starts to decay. Uh, your, your life is, is, is not as pleasurable. It's, it's hard to fill up on vegetables uh, today with our modern advancements in grocery stores. Imagine living in other parts of the world, especially climates where they weren't produced in such an abundance. And meat, meat packs an incredible amount of, of calories. And salt became an important way to preserve your meat and an important part of survival. The primary purpose of salt is to fight decay. And Jesus undoubtedly would have seen his mom or his dad or his aunts, his uncles, his grandparents, he would have seen them taking meat and massaging salt into it over and over and over again, reapplying it every couple of weeks when there was leftovers. He would have seen mom rubbing the salt deeper and deeper into this meat so that it doesn't spoil, so that it, it it's, is, is able to be consumed at a later point. When Jesus says, you are salt of the earth, he's saying this, Ours is a world prone to death and decay. But my kingdom people, they're my means of preserving this world from turning into the rod it could become. You are salt. Now, salt works a variety of ways, and you might question me, and you might say, maybe it isn't about being a preservative. Maybe it's salt should be understood, the metaphor should be used a different way, but Jesus also gives light. And light is no different if you think about it. What does light do? Without fear. Without any trepidation, without any hesitation, what does light do? It penetrates and it moves in the direction towards darkness. It forces its way into darkness. It displaces the darkness. And this is what Jesus is saying. His kingdom people, they're going to be a people who are constantly on the move towards. Towards that which is dying, that which is decaying. Constantly on the to move towards that which is darkness. That which appears void. Now, this metaphor shouldn't surprise us. You are salt and light telling us that we are going to be a people who instinctually move towards something. Some of you know we had this uh, secret service agent that came up uh, to help with children's camps a while back. He came up from another church. They, they served us, and he was a secret service agent. And I absolutely loved asking him questions about it, and he loved to share his stories and talk about how you're trained, actually, when you hear gunfire, everything and in your instinct is to run the other way. But when you're in the secret service, you're regularly trained to run towards the gunfire to be between, in his case, the president and the one shooting. His wife later told me he worked in bank fraud, but he told good stories, and I thought he was telling the truth. Jesus is saying this becomes our instincts. We move towards. We don't run away. We don't back away. We see decay. We see darkness, and we move towards, and this shouldn't surprise us at all. Again, I have to move quickly, but this is the very pattern we see in the Bible. One of one of the biggest heresies in North American culture was a heresy known as deism. This idea that God is a great clockmaker that starts the world, sets it into motion, and wipes his hands, steps back, and lets, it play out, lets the world play out uh, sort of like a clock ticking, uh, accomplishing what it needs to accomplish. That's not the God we find in the Scriptures. Time doesn't permit, but I could spend so much time that what do we find in the Bible? We find the God of the Scriptures moving towards darkness. Darkness and decay, he says, let there be light. He's always moving towards, and even when the the, the world had turned into utter decay, it seemed like all is lost. He makes himself known to a man named Abraham. He, He reveals himself to a nation, and what's that nation to be? There'd be a light to the Gentiles, a light in darkness. This was the identity of the people of Israel. And even when they failed at their calling, they struggled and couldn't move forward. What do we find? The instincts of our God moving towards, making himself... To be a human being. Sending his son to take on human flesh. To be like us in every way. And not just to live among us. Not just to watch mom and dad massage salt into meat. But to give of his very life. To give of his very life. To go to the darkest spots. to, to To experience decay in his own flesh. This is our God. God does not run away from the darkness. He does not run away from the decay. In a mysterious way, he embraces it. He knows something of the rejection. Even when his own people lose their saltiness, he continues to move towards and move towards and move towards. I don't know if anyone saw this film that was released yesterday called The Jesus Revolution. I think it was released on Friday. It did quite well at the box office. Uh, They were expecting it to not make much money, but it did actually quite well. Um, as I was looking, it, it just barely was beat out by Cocaine Bear, though. So I have some ideas as to why it might have done well. <laughs> the only other movie is about a bear that does cocaine. I could see why the Jesus Revolution did better than they thought. Um, but Kelsey Grammer actually is in it, and there's some, been some great interviews of Kelsey Grammer talking about his role. He plays the part of a pastor in California named Chuck Smith, who had a church that was dwindling in attendance and probably going to have to close. He's a typical pastor of the time, buttoned up, suit, tie every day. Uh, sang his his hymns and the piano, and his life was deeply upended as he had an encounter with the hippie movement. And his instincts were to stay away. The U.S. was incredibly divided at the time, and this countercultural movement was deemed as toxic by most of the Christian community. The people he began to interact with, their brains were fried by so much drug usage at times, and yet, rather than run away through mysterious acts of the Lord's providence, he continued to move towards this community and move towards this community He had a powerful ministry where thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ and had their life greatly changed. Why? Because when he saw darkness, when he saw decay, the Lord said, you're salt, you're light, and he moved towards. He he went against his instincts and moved towards the darkness and decay. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this is our identity. What does it mean the Lord is calling to us towards? Well, I'm, I'm guessing... I'm guessing I'm not the only one here who's got some friends battling addiction. He's got some family members dealing with some really hard issues that are hard to move through. I'm guessing I'm not the only one in this church that has that problem. And I'm guessing I'm also not the only one who's very tempted to head the other way. To stay away from people as they go through difficulties of, of aging and health. To stay away from people as they battle through addictions, as marriages fall apart. My goodness, I only have so many hours in the day and these people are difficult. This passage is telling us, at the very least, we run towards the darkness. We run towards the decay. I could keep going on and on, but I wonder what you're avoiding. What darkness do you see clearly? And the Lord has made you light. Where do you see decay, and where are you avoiding it? What is this metaphor calling us to do? Move towards the decay and darkness. Well, how are we supposed to do it? How, does, how are we supposed to move towards the darkness and decay? And let me ask, how is it that salt accomplishes its purposes in, in its work as a preservative? How does it actually accomplish its purposes? Well, does not salt uh, sort of merge and dissolve and almost become unmade as it's rubbed into these meats and allows the meats to be preserved? And how does light serve its purpose? How does light accomplish its goal when you turn on the light of light, like shooting, light shooting out where it's going? How does it work? Does light not exhaust itself moving into the darkness, giving of itself until it is no more, penetrating the darkness? Salt and light accomplish their purposes by being unmade, by being undone, by giving of themselves without reservation towards the other. And is this not the Christian story? Is the story that we are here celebrating? Not that Jesus not only moved towards us and told us, "Hey, look, this thing called being a human is not that hard." Why you guys been failing so long? I gave you a lot of resources. No, he moved towards us, and what did he do? He was unmade. He gave of himself until there was nothing left to give, taking on flesh crucified. This is central to our understanding of what, who our God is. He takes on the decay. He takes on the darkness. Move towards it that we might be preserved, that we might see the light. I don't know if anyone knows the New York Times writer Nicholas Kristof. I've read this before, but I still am blown away by this quote. Nicholas Kristof would not call himself a Christian. In fact, he's made very clear he's not a Christian. But He's a reporter in the Times that covers suffering around the world, and he writes this, In my experience, it's not all self-absorbed, anti-intellectual Christians out there. In my reporting on poverty, disease, and oppression, I've seen so many other types of Christians. Evangelicals are disproportionately likely to donate 10% of their income to charities, mostly church-related. More important, they're more likely to go to the front lines at home or abroad in the battle against hunger, malaria, prison rape, human trafficking, or genocide. They're some of the bravest people I have ever met. There's nothing like meeting an evangelical Christian or a conservative Catholic who truly lives out their faith. He continues, I still remain not very religious myself, but I must admit I stand in awe of those I've seen risking their lives in this way. And it sickens me to see this faith relentlessly mocked at New York City cocktail parties. We haven't always given good examples, but here's one man who's seen it. A man who's seen the Christians living out their calling to give of themselves, to expend themselves, to push into the darkness, into the decay, until they have nothing left to offer. Where are you holding back? What is Jesus calling you to do? Where are you hedging your bets? This is our fundamental ID. We're so, I, this is our fundamental identity. We're salt. We're light. We move towards we give of ourselves till so we have nothing left to give. But next, let's ask why. Why? What is the goal of our movement towards and the giving of ourselves? What is the end? And again, we have to reflect on salt. We have to reflect on light. What does salt do? Does it not preserve? Does it not preserve and extend life, bring out flavor? And what does light do? How is light used? Is it not used to expose that which is hidden in darkness? To illuminate that which is unseen. These are the ends to which we are called. Not only to move towards darkness and decay, not only to give of ourselves, but we're to do this to the ends that the world might flourish. The, The world might flourish. Now what does this mean? Well, think of the story of Jesus. Why are we meeting on Sunday? He didn't just give his life that our sins might be forgiven and we could live in misery until the day of our death. He came to this earth and gave of his life, and our God resurrected him from the dead. And he showed us that true flourishing is possible now. Unending life can be tasted now in human flesh because of his very work. He was a bright light that came into this world, resurrected from the dead, and now shines on unending as a spotlight. He worked and gave his life that others might flourish, that you and I might not only taste forgiveness, but know we, to us belongs life unending. To us belongs the power of the resurrection now. Flourishing is for us now. This is what our Lord Jesus has done for us. One of the great social theorists of our time, James Davison Hunter, who who has spent a ton of time reflecting on culture wars, especially in Western uh, civilization and the ways in which the Christian faith is interacting, He's, he suggested that uh, our society has become a society, especially in North America, where we're kind of caught between two poles for the longest time. We had a group of people who, th- who found themselves, especially as it relates to Christianity, saying that th- their relationship to the world ought to be one of accommodation. Whatever progress the world made, Christianity was also, also to embrace that, that progress. And, and before time, as the Christian movements continued to embrace all that the world was praising, the salt lost its saltiness, Okay. This model of accommodation had let the church down. Another model that was was running sort of at parallel tracks at times was the accommodation, was the model we could say of fortification. Fortification. This idea that if we let the decay in, it might spread to us. If we let the darkness in, we might stumble and not be able to walk clearly. And so the Christian response in this sort of counterculture was not to accommodate, but to actually fortify. To hide ourselves from outside influences, to protect ourselves, to be salty for salt's sake, and to hide light under a bushel. And this model, by and large, has also been ridden with problems. And along came a movement, it was really strong in the 50s, had great impact up here in Canada as well, through the 60s and 70s. A movement to see Christianity more impactful in the culture, more engaging the culture. But along the way, something about this movement became uh, tied up with what we might call conquest. These are Hunter's words, not mine. I'm not this brilliant. And in Hunter's mind, a decision was made amongst the Christian community not to just accommodate culture and not to hide from culture, but to interact with culture. But the ends to which the Christian community felt called to interact was that of conquest, controlling, hoarding, despite the fact that we should have learned the lessons from the Quiet Revolution. The Protestant community thought, well, let's, let's play our part. Let's take over And let's be involved in political engagement. Let's hold power. Conquests. And by and large, this has got it wrong as well. Because this is not how light works and it's not how salt works. I know some of us like to eat salt for salt's sake, but for the most part, salt preserves something else. No one stares at light unless there's something wrong with you. Hunter says, in the days ahead, as the church has failed with this accommodation, with this fortification, and now has the stain of failed conquest, on our, our hands. Hunter has said that the call of the Christian community is nothing more than just faithful presence. To be faithful, to speak this good news of Christ whenever we get a chance, but to be present in a world of darkness and decay and to not go away. To be unrelentingly faithful and present at the same time. And this is what, how this metaphor works. This is what the goal of our movement is. Not to conquer the non-Christian community out there, not to put them in their place, have our laws and our morals sort of reign over them. The goal of the Christian community is this, to be salt and light in a world that's dying and filled with darkness, to shine bright, to preserve that which is wrought and moving towards decay. Our goal is that others might flourish. One pastor put it this way, the call of the church has never been to be political analysts. We're called to be cultural catalysts who will act as salt and light, but there is a danger. Salt, if you use too much, becomes embittering. If you sprinkle it, it flavors. Light is annoying if it glares in your face. In fact, you try to push it away. But if you let the warm glow of the light show, people will come to it. I don't think Jesus was calling us to rub salt in a person's wounds. Our glare, the light, uh, sorry, gla- to, to glare a, a million-watt candle spotlight in the non-Christian world's eyes. Jesus' tactic is this. You, my people, here's how my kingdom is going to flourish. Here's how it's going to move out. You're going to be salt. You're going to be like light and salt. Salt is almost inconsequential. Very rarely do you have a meal, a good meal, and you say, oh my goodness, that's salt. Ooh, you know. Some people do, especially if you're into that fake pink Himalaya salt scam. But... On the whole, you say, wow, this chicken tastes delicious. This sauce, it's unbelievable. You don't talk about the salt. You talk about the sauce. You talk about the flavor of the meat. And so it is with light as well. No one walks into a house and says, first thing, my goodness, the lighting is so even in this home. No. No. You acknowledge how great the design of the home is. Maybe you talk about how perfect the window decisions were, but very rarely do you talk about, maybe you talking about the natural light coming in, but very rarely do you praise the light. The light shows off the glory of all the other things that have been built before. This is what Jesus is saying the church community is going to be. We're going to live in neighborhoods like Gatineau. We're going to live in neighborhoods like the east end of Toronto. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to move towards the decay, wherever we see it. We're going to move towards the darkness, like salt, like light. And you know what we're going to do? We're going to give of ourselves to the point that we feel we have nothing left to give. And the reality is we're probably going to feel like we're failing. We're going to feel like we're making no difference at all. But why are we going to do that? Because my goodness, we got neighbors. We've got neighbors. They're dying. We want to see them flourish again. We want to see them praise our Heavenly Father, as Jesus says. To see our good deeds and praise our Heavenly Father. To be reconciled with their Creator. This is why we're doing this thing. That they might be preserved. That the language they speak might be used around the throne of heaven one day, into eternity. That the music that they make, that this stuff might be preserved. That it might be used to give glory to God, the raw materials of the earth lifted up and elevated to our Lord. You are salt. You are light. This is what we're called to do. Not to build an empire. Not to win over the East End and put everyone under the hard thumb of the Christian church. Also not to accommodate and look just like the the, the culture out there. You are salt. You are light. Sisters, brothers, we've got a lot of work to do. There's a ton of work to do, and we've got a, we've got a baggage of, of Christian heritage in this country that we're going to have to work through and wrestle through. But here's what I'm trying to say. God is working to sustain this world and spread his glory through your very ordinary actions. And I don't care what you're going to do Monday morning, whether you're arguing cases or drawing buildings or calculating risks or painting walls or checking for vital signs or grabbing scalpels, or serving coffee, or changing diapers, or changing trash cans, feeding children, researching, writing, returning emails. I don't care what you're called to do. Our Lord says, when you give a cold glass of water to someone in need in his name, he receives it as though it was to him. And this is the calling. Whatever you find yourself doing, God will work through you and is working through you and must work through you to work out his preserving and sustaining power onto this earth. So let's go be salt, go be light in the city, until that light has shined into all the darkness, until every drip of decay in our part of the city is so covered in salt. Church, this is what we were saved for. We were rescued to be brought into a community, to move towards decaying people, industries, relationships in our city, and to gladly give of our lives that we might see our neighbors flourish and renewed in every way. This is the calling of our church. This is the calling of the Christian community. May the Lord find us faithful. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you have called us to be salt and light. And you didn't say that we're to become salt and change our properties so that we might look like salt and that we were somehow to emulate light because we're so glowing with holiness. You told us that this is exactly what we are. And so, Father, we're asking you now that you would make us to be what you have told us we are. Make us to shine bright this week. Father, where we see decay, would be coated with salt? Use us. And Father, where we start to lose our saltiness and we start to hide our light, would you convict us? And would you remind us that it's your Son, Jesus Christ, who truly was salt for this world. It's your Son, Jesus Christ, who truly was light. And he is our hope, our Savior, our elder brother. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christchurch Toronto Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristchurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristchurchToronto.ca.